we're going to begin with Jeremiah chapter 44, and we'll read verses 2 through 4 in that chapter. Uh, You know what, I'll go ahead and read the first verse there as well, just so we can have a little setting there. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the Jews who dwell in the land of Egypt, who dwell at Migdol, at Tophanes, at Noph, and in the country of Pathros, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You have seen all the calamity that I have brought on Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah. And behold, this day they are a desolation, And no one dwells in them because of their wickedness, which they have committed to provoke me to anger, in that they went to burn incense and to serve other gods whom they did not know, they nor you nor your fathers. However, I have sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, Oh, do not do this abominable thing that I hate. And that's where we will pause and bow our heads once again and ask the Lord to bless this lesson tonight. Heavenly Father, we are grateful, Lord, to be here together with ones that we love. More importantly, Father, that you love us. Herein is love, not that we loved you, but that you loved us first, Father, even while we were yet sinners. I thank you, Lord, for the love that you share with us and the love that you offer to us and teach us about in your word. Itself is your love for us, expressed to us in teaching. Help us, Father, to receive that and to feel loved tonight, Lord, as we consider those things that you don't love. Bless us in our considerations, Father. Teach us. Draw us to you, I ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen. God is love. We understand this. I feel kind of a little bit ashamed to put that up on that screen, hating with God. Except that while God is love, and we said it this morning, and we say it quite often, it is who he is. The fact of the matter is is that God indeed hates. He does have hate uh, for certain things. Uh, If I was a stupid kid, just as you all were, maybe not as stupid, but you had a certain measure of ignorance as a child, and you probably at some point or another told your sibling or told someone else or just thought in your heart, man, I hate that kid, you know, or something like that. Man, I hate you. Yeah, if your mom heard you say that, probably, if she's like mom, she says, you don't hate anybody. And I'm like, well, I beg to differ because, you know, I I know how I feel about this person here. And so we had our education on what hate was. And, you know, that's not a, well, it's not a Christian position to hold. And I'm careful to say that. It's not a Christian position to hold in regards to hating other people, in regards to hating Ah, your siblings and that sort of thing. But the fact of the matter is, is that God does indeed, well, he does all things well, we understand, and he hates well too. And I want to make sure that we leave this place not having any misunderstanding as to what I mean when I say that he hates well. Um, I gave a lesson back in, well, on a Mother's Day some years ago about what God hates, and I'm not going to give that lesson again, but Suffice it to say that hate isn't separate from God. Okay? There is a measure of, of well, extreme dislike. I mean, that's what hate means. But if you look at what that word means here in Scripture, it, you can even say it this way, that it means to unlove. It's the opposite of that. Now, if I say unlove, probably if you're under the age of about 30, you probably think to yourself, oh, I, you know, accidentally liked someone's thing on Instagram or accidentally loved this and I had to unlove that. Perhaps you've gone through that sort of thing. And, you know, I've gone through my music on my 
music before, and I hit my favorites. I'm like, when did I ever love this song? Because I don't even listen to this kind of music or something. You know, every now and then you kind of chubby finger something and, and accidentally love something. So you unlove it, right? It's the opposite of loving. You dismiss yourself from that. God unloves some things. He unloves certain things. It means to be an adversary to in other applications. It means to oppose. He does have some things. If God is love, then, then what he hates are those things that are the antithesis of love. The opposite of who he is. He is righteousness. He is holiness. He is perfection. He is grace. He is love. He's all of those things. So if something doesn't correlate or somehow associate and, and have his, at least to some measure, his fingerprints on them. It's something that he is separate from. It's something that he opposes. He's love. He's all good. He is all righteousness. And he stands against what, those things that aren't. He hates what is unrighteous. He hates what is evil. He hates what is wicked. He hates what is carnal. All of the opposites once again. Now you understand, as a little kid, when I said, I hate you to whomever I, I said it to. And I didn't say it often, but it came out. I was petty. God isn't petty with his hate. He's not a petty God. He's not a petty being. His hates are legitimate. And we see that really quickly in Scripture. In Proverbs uh, chapter 6 and verse 16, well, the writer here says, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Now, these are poetic, certainly, and they're presented in metaphoric type uh, a setting there in Proverbs, but I think it's quite plain what he says here. That God hates and finds as an abomination a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Do you have any difficulty identifying that the Lord would find these things distasteful, that these aren't part of his makeup, that these aren't part of who he is? Well, then you don't have any problem recognizing that he hates these things. And hate, when it's well-placed, justly placed, and not pettily felt, well, it can be even a godly emotion, a godly feeling, uh, because God himself does it. And so, as a result of that, it's an unfortunate thing, but those who choose to define themselves by these things, and when I say define, I don't just mean that those people who do these things, or even those things, those ones who are outside of faith, that are unbelievers, who have not believed in the Lord Jesus. I, there is a certain, I'm not going to say a gray area, but there's a God area here where you have to understand that God doesn't always give us all the details, all of the ins and outs of things, but He tells us that He has, well, that He has hate for individuals as well. Those who choose the flesh, those who choose sin as their finality, those who dismiss Christ, who reject the Lord Jesus to the very end, those ones who reject the deliverance that the Lord offers them out of that, well, that place, that position that is being lost. Well, these ones can work nothing but sin. That's what they are. That's what they do. The only thing they can do is be in sin. You understand Proverbs 21.4, a haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked are sin. It says there in Proverbs 21.4. The plowing of the wicked are sin. God hates sin. And He sets forth a will for His people. This is what I have for you. I want you to believe in the Lord Jesus and walk with Me. If you don't believe in the Lord Jesus, you can't walk with Him. 
If God is love and you don't believe in God in His totality, you don't know what love is. If you don't have that identification with Him, if you don't even have His love within you, His presence within you, then the love that you have is false. There can be good feelings, there can be kindness that's expressed, but the purity and the source of love is God Himself. So in the absence of that, you're instead embracing something else, something other than what actually is love. And so everything that those ones can do is sin because it's entirely outside of the beginning of the will of God. It's that simple, I hate to say. And so if all that one is, that all that one does is sin, not having passed from death unto life, not having become God's righteousness through Jesus that he has offered to us, sound like harsh words, they are what they are. Those ones, well, they choose to remain sin. You think about that. We who have been made God's righteousness through Jesus. You understand that. I don't have that passage here, but we were made His righteousness and Jesus was made to be sin for us. You understand that truth. He was, it was an exchange. If Jesus was made sin for us who believed, then those who don't believe remain sin. Do you see what I'm saying? They, they remain the embodiment of that. And when they dismiss that opportunity and that deliverance that he has, then they have dismissed, well, being changed and made different. And so they do remain sin. They choose to remain that hated thing. And so as a result, they are associated with that. And we see that presented in eternity. In Psalm chapter 5, in number, or verse number 4, it says, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers or makers of iniquity. Those ones who are, have been completely worked and intertwined. And when you have rejected Jesus to the end, then you have become sin, you might say. I think it's fair to say that God hates what the sinner will become. That God can see into eternity future, see through eternity past all of those things, and He recognizes this is one who is not going to accept me, is not going to believe. I know what's going to happen from the moment of their birth to the moment that they leave. And these ones are going to remain in sin, and to a certain extent, remain sin, remain absent and completely outside of who I am and what my makeup is. And He hates, He hates that. Uh, I look at it this way. Let's see if I can clarify what I'm trying to say. Uh, When Eli was a kid, he was scared to death of rabies. You know why? Because I read Old Yeller to him. Remember Old Yeller? Of course. He got bit by a a rabid wolf or something. I don't remember. I only read it about 50 times when I was a kid, and I don't remember it anymore. That being said, we give rabies vaccines to dogs, yeah? I look at rabies, or I look at sin like rabies. You give your dog the rabies vaccine, and you keep it ongoing. I think it's yearly or perhaps two years. And if the dog gets bit by a rabid dog or by something else that's rabid, then he's not going to get rabies. He might get sick. He might get injured or something along those lines. But he's not going to get rabies. You can even have it this way, that you don't give your dog the rabies vaccine and he goes and he gets bit by a skunk that is rabid. And if then, having recognized that that 
virus is within that dog and having impacted that dog, you can then take and say, I made a mistake, I should have had them vaccinated, but here, let's go through this rather painful series for my dog so that we might push away this rabies that's coming, that's coming on. What happens if you don't get that vaccine? It's interesting. It's nice to talk about something other than the vax, right? If you're talking about rabies here, what happens if you don't get it? That dog gets bitten. And pretty soon, you understand how it is. I've seen, well, not personally, but I've seen videos of people with rabies. It is every bit as horrifying, every bit as horrifying as you would expect. They completely lose their mind. And you might love that person entirely and you love them knowing that they have been bitten and you want what's good and what's best for them but when the symptoms start to come on and when that rabies infects them they are no longer that person anymore and there is not a interreaction a relationship there with them that was the long word right there interreaction there's no longer an interpersonal thing that goes on Sin is that disease. When that disease is allowed to come in and it's never addressed and that vaccine that is Jesus Christ and His blood is never taken and it goes to the end, then that person becomes the disease, you might say. And the Lord hates that disease. And that is a sad and a, oh man, a painful thing to consider. But sin is that disease and it touches everybody. Uh... And God hates what it makes of people. We understand that because He loves His people. So when people say He hates the sinner presently right now, well, He doesn't say that at all. (laughs) He does hate the sin and He hates those ones who will become sin for all of eternity because they have joined something other than is His Son. Let's try to clarify how he feels about them presently. John chapter 3, of course we have to go here. Does God hate the sinner presently in this world? God is able. God is able to a certain measure, and I don't pretend to understand everything, but God is able to focus on the here and now and look at what's present. Despite what's going to happen in eternity, he knows those ones who are going to accept him. How do I know? that he looks at the present and doesn't necessarily just focus on eternity because he gives opportunity to those ones who will dismiss him, fully understanding that, he, that they're going to completely reject him. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him, whomever believes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world entirely, entirely love the world, believer and unbeliever alike. You will not convince me that that's not 100% true, that He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So can we truly say that God indeed loves the sinner? Wait a second, you hate all workers of iniquity. You know, we're looking at the present. Until that last breath, the Lord gives opportunity and opportunity and opportunity that they might not be workers of iniquity, that they might not be ones that are associated and only comprised of sin. He loves the world. God loves the sinner, and I don't think there's any avoiding that truth. Uh, Romans chapter 5 expounds on that for us. He loved us when we were dead in sin. When we were defined by it, when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now you understand that's not only us that were ungodly. 
all are ungodly. All are ungodly. And he understands that. And he died for each one. Verse 8, but God demonstrated, demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he made that example and made that offering for all who were sinners, all who are sinners, all who will die as sinners. He offered that to them, made that provision available to them. Uh, how does he want us to feel about sinners, those ones who are lost? Luke 6, verse 27. These are the words of Jesus, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. (laughs) doesn't matter if those ones hate, if those ones don't know what love is, if those ones don't want to reflect the Lord Jesus. You love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. Jesus called out from the cross that the Lord would forgive them. For they knew not what they did. Stephen did the same as he was struck down with those stones. He loved, he presented. Uh, I am confident that the Lord loves the sinner. Gives opportunity to the sinner. While they have every opportunity. While they have breath within them. Saints, I've told stories I've had. Well, honestly, more than I can remember. Of opportunities that I've just just in my own experience someone presently dying and yet had the wherewithal to listen uh, as I spoke to them about Jesus had the wherewithal to hear one more time and and uh, you know you can sit and think there's no nobility there okay there's no nobility there is just recognizing an opportunity and kind of stepping back and looking at it for what it is the Lord was using me even in that moment to the very end to give opportunity. To give opportunity and reach. And it wasn't, it's not just me. There are other ones who have been at, at a deathbed, at bedside, and expressing. Yeah, we take that privilege of doing that, but it's still the Lord working opportunity for those ones to the very end. The Lord cares, and the Lord sends His people, knocks on the doors of those hearts to the very end. I'm grateful for that. He tells us to love our enemies and to do good to those who hate us. And if they hate us, you can be sure that they hate the Lord too because hate isn't from Him in that respect. Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 11. He gives recourse to those ones who are defined by sin. He gives opportunity to those ones who are comprised of sin. Even those ones who will reject to the end. Ezekiel 33 verse 11. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn away from his way and live. Turn, turn, he says, from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Man, I think that's about as personal a message as the Lord can give. He's, he's, well, he's, I'd say he's imploring to these ones. Turn. Why should you die? I haven't willed that you should well be cast out for all of eternity, be cast from my presence and have separation. I haven't desired that for you. And so that suggests that he gives opportunity to everyone and all of well all of those ones who come across this earth. Again, understanding and knowing full well who will receive and who will not, and yet still opportunity. Not all the wicked are going to turn to the Lord. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Not all are going to do that, but does he withhold the opportunity from them? Does he say, turn, nope, not going to let you. No, he doesn't do that. He presents to them 
and he offers them. Because God does not merely hate the sinner. He hates the sin that they choose to remain for all of eternity. He hates that they will end this life fully identified with that sin and not with his son Jesus who died on their behalf. That's what he hates. He hates that whole ball of sin, carnality, evil, that's going to go into that lake of fire. And others, those ones who will reject Jesus, will jump right onto it, attach themselves to it, and be well satisfied with that. But while they have breath and while they have life, they have opportunity. It's that opportunity that I see here in our text that he presented to those Jews, those Jews who had taken refuge in Egypt, uh, you can read there that Jerusalem's a wreck, been destroyed by Babylon by this point. Destruction and ruin was on that people, and it sat there just so, sat there ruined as a result of their idolatry. And still that idolatry that was demonstrated there in Jerusalem and elsewhere in Judah, still those ones in Egypt didn't, well, didn't take that example for their own lesson. And they found themselves still evidently in that idolatry. And yet, after the generations and generations and generations of the same judgment and the same idolatry and the same judgment and the same idolatry kept rearing its heads, well, opportunity is still being presented there. Jeremiah points out, just as the Lord has him point out, he's, well, he directs them and reminds them, tell me this is an unloving God, an unkind God that says back in our text in verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, You have seen all the calamity that I have brought on Jerusalem and on all the cities of Judah. And behold, this day they are a desolation and no one dwells in them. That's a kind God expressing this is what happens when things go, well, against what I've called you to. That's what you do with your children, right? You you tell them, okay, this is what I'm telling you is good for you. When you have made this mistake, this is the bad thing that happens. Hopefully it doesn't happen to them. You can point to somebody else, as horrible as that sounds. You can say, look, look what happens when you do the things that I'm telling you are bad for you. That's what God's doing. He's a good father. It's a kind father here. He's not showing off, not being arrogant, not just standing there lording over these ones. He's telling them, look and see if I'm not right in what I've told you thus far. And then God tells them why. This is why this has happened to them. Because of their wickedness. Their wickedness, which they have committed to provoke me to anger, and that they went to burn incense and to serve other gods whom they did not know, they, uh, nor you, nor your fathers there. He says, this, this is the same thing. He says, cause and effect. This is the effect that comes from this cause. Do you recognize what I'm saying here, you folks? You ones who are already out there in Egypt, already intertwined in all of this stuff. This is what's coming for you. Leave it. <laughs> Get rid of it. Push away from it. He gives them further instruction there in verse 4. However, I have sent to you all my servants and the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, Oh, do not do this abominable thing that I hate. This is not of me. This is not who I am. If you are my child, you want to know me. You want to know who I am. You want to be, as we consider in this church age, be changed from glory to glory into the image of Jesus. You want to understand who I am. He's expressing to them, this is what I hate. Don't do this. Not just because I could crush you like I did Jerusalem, but because our relationship is going to be crushed if this isn't 
rectified, if this isn't left off. That's a patient and a loving God there. He directs his people to righteousness. He judges ungodliness, points out that judgment, and explains why that judgment comes. And he gives more direction to them, knowing full well that many of them weren't going to obey at all. That is a God who loves the sinner. That is a God who loves. And I appreciate that. Certainly judgment awaits. Certainly, well, being cast off if they keep themselves attached to that ball of sin, becoming, incorporating themselves into that for all of eternity, it will be dealt with. And that's still a loving God still. Because He holds to, well, He holds to His Word and He holds to His nature. And that's what we, that's what we want out of our God. Now, you might ask, what does this have to do with us? We believe. We're all saved people here. Why, what does it matter to me uh, that there are those ones? Uh, sure, I'm burdened for the lost, certainly. I pray for the lost, certainly. In my family, I'll, I'll speak to them, witness to them, testify to them. But what does this matter to me This that he's presenting here to these people uh, in Egypt? We've been vaccinated, right? We might we can get bit by a rabid dog tomorrow and we're going to be just fine because, yeah, it is what it is. We're vaccinated. The simple theme, I guess you could say, is that if, well, if we know what the Lord hates ourselves, we should honor Him in that. We should recognize that. And we should live that. Oh, do not do this abominable thing that I hate. Saints, we can't ever earn God's love. You understand this. We can never, ever earn it. But we have it. That's the thing. We have God's love. We have the vaccination, you might say, from sin. Just because we have that love of His, just because we will never be hated, doesn't give us license to mock His hate. It doesn't give us the freedom to dismiss what it is that He hates. I had a good friend back at the station here, and she was a Sandy. She's from Munich, Germany. Still had a thick German accent. And we all had a good time with her accent. She made fun of our American accents and everything. But, you know, everyone in this place knows that I hate mustard. We ate together all the time at the fire department. Sandy knew that I hated mustard, and she wanted to cook anyway. And she goes, you don't like mustard, Greg? <laughs> it just squeezes this mustard into this meatloaf. And just was laughing and laughing and laughing as she just continued to squeeze. <laughs> just dump this mustard. She goes, you'll never even taste it. I can't do her accent. I, I'm really going to be offensive if I'm not careful, but she, she squirted all that mustard, I mean, just by the pound. I tasted it, hated it, and she laughed. She just didn't give two hoots that I didn't like the mustard. That, that's fine, because it's fire department humor. It's between buddies and all of that sort of thing. You know, the Lord doesn't just hate mustard, you understand? And it's not just, just chumming up with our, with our Heavenly Father. It's not that way. When he hates something, isn't because it, it's something distasteful to him. Now you understand, he hates our being lukewarm to the point that he will spew that out of his mouth. You understand this. He doesn't want us to be Laodicean. He doesn't want us to act in that way. That is something that hits his proverbial gag reflex, you might say. You understand what that's like. You understand what that feels like. Well, he hates such things. And it's nothing to play jokes with. On him, It's nothing to mock his hate by our partaking of those things that he hates. Now, we recognize that, of course, all of the obvious hot buttons of sin and carnality. We understand this. It's a dishonor, we know, to partake in those things that are 
Well, well, we might even go so far as just say, man, it's filthy. It's just wrong. It's just gross. We understand that. But it certainly branches off from that. Uh, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 6, because of these things that he hates, I'll put that in there, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. That sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? Now, we aren't the sons of disobedience. So will we just dismiss those things that are bringing such wrath on someone? I should say not. Absolutely not. What kind of things? Go on down to verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these things. You're not sons of disobedience. Understand this. But since we are sons of obedience, children of obedience, identified with the Lord Jesus and should be identified with obedience to Him, shouldn't we, well, certainly disregard and put away from us those things that He hates? Put yourself, or you yourselves are to put off all these things. Anger. Anger, is that really a big deal? He hates it. He hates misplaced anger. Wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Saints, that's what we're called to do as children of God. Does it matter that he's sitting here talking to these ones so long ago who are idolatrous? We don't have idols. We don't, we're not living in Egypt. We're, not, we're children of God. We have the vaccine, you might say. We have grace and we understand what it is. And you know what? The Lord loves us. We can't be intertwined with that sin that is hated. We can't be involved in that ball of carnality that's going to be tossed away. That doesn't give us a pass, obviously. Again, I'm not saying, you know, don't do this sin and don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. What I'm saying is we go home. We leave this place and daily when we wake up in the morning. Daily when we're in the car. Daily when we feel something. Daily when we have an an encounter. Daily when we have a situation arise. Be it large or small, we sit and we think to ourselves, I feel a certain way just now. And maybe I feel the Spirit moving in my heart a certain way. Maybe I feel uncomfortable. Maybe I feel really high right now, feeling pretty good about things. It's a good time to stop and think, would God unlove this situation just now? Would he unlove what I'm feeling just now? Again, I mentioned it recently. We're not walking around being paranoid. We're not going to sit here and think, oh no, am I going to really put off the Lord? You understand. You understand when your anger pops up, when your malice pops up, when the impatience comes up that isn't part of a long-suffering God's nature. When those things that seem perhaps not so carnal, but man, they're getting in my way. And they're separating me from the fullness of understanding who the Lord is. He hates those things that separate us. And we need to take into account what our Father hates. We must not dishonor the Lord by not considering what He hates. We must not. Proverbs 8.13, and I'll close with this. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. It is to hate evil and everything that is opposite of the love that God is, of the righteousness that God is, of the patience and long-suffering that God is, of the grace that God is, of the fiery, well, holiness and righteousness that God is, and sometimes the coolness of His perfection and His dialed-in Word. Sometimes, sometimes we need to just stop and recognize 
God would unlove this. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. That's wisdom speaking in Proverbs 8. And wisdom can be ours, child of God. Hate what he hates. Don't hate one another. Don't hate your enemies. Don't hate your siblings. Don't hate your spouse, certainly. Don't hate even people who hate you back. Hate what the Lord God hates. And you can live, well, you can live with that acceptable hate with the Lord because it's righteousness, it's godliness, and you can trust Him to be so. And that's where we'll end this evening.